Isn't it great to know that our God is mighty to save, that he uh, can come and transform your life and mine, and he has, and he wants to bring um, incredible changes to our lives and to the community in which we find ourselves. City of Wodonga, over in the districts around, and that cry is, shine your light, let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. We want to make an impact on our city and we want to make an impact on our region. And today, I'm really excited. Uh, today's a real significant moment uh, for us as a church. Over the last uh, couple of years, actually, since I've arrived, the, the church has been such a healthy church we've, we've been. There have been people that are so excited about what God's been doing that as soon as I arrived, people said, where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we heading? And I just knew within myself that it's not about what I think uh, that's important about where we go, but it's what we sense together God is saying to us that's important. And so the last two years, over that time, we've been thinking and listening and praying together as a church and saying, hey, where is God leading us? Our uh, leaders and staff gathered together, you know, about, um, I think about a year ago almost, where we, we brainstormed. If we were to say what our values are, what are the things that we really value, what would they be? And we brainstormed and we did the same with the deacons. And then we got together deacons and staff and we said, well, let's look at these together, some of the similarities that we have, and let's look at the scriptures and let's pray together and let's see what our church's values would be. We met many times together uh, to, to discuss that and to talk about that. Then we've shared it wider with our leaders um, at a, a leader regular monthly leadership night. And we opened it up for feedback to come back to them. And today, we want to share, starting today and over the next seven weeks, the values that really define us as a church. So I'm excited. It's good to know the things that we really value together. And so that if you're leading a ministry area or if you're living your life daily, say, is this value something I'm embodying? Uh, how am I living according to this value? So this morning we start with the two values of that we are a Christ-centred church and that we're a biblically-based church. Those two values are primary in the life of our church. And this morning we're going to be looking at that. So I'm excited and I'm excited that our God who's mighty to save, what he'll do is we get clear about what we stand for. So I want to say welcome to church today. If this is your first time, you're going to really see what we're all about. You're going to uh, get to get to see what we stand for. And we're excited about that and we hope that as you come this morning you'll feel welcomed and accepted and that you'll feel like this could be a place where you could belong. So welcome to church for you, newcomers. Regulars, we want to say welcome. We just value every single person that God brings to this church, that God transforms, he's transformed your life. We gather together and we're so uh, pleased that you come each week and are growing and are using your gifts and serving him. You know the exciting thing today? We're, we're inviting you to stay for lunch. On the front of the news sheet, you'll see that uh, lunch at 12.30, it's all provided, isn't it, Gail? Is that right? Yeah. So even if you haven't bought lunch, you, you're not supposed to. So that's good. And you can stay. If you've come from regions out, outside and you weren't aware of it, there's some great coffee shops. You can have a coffee and come back at 12.30 and enjoy that together. It's a great time because, you know, since we've got three services each Sunday, Often we don't get together, together um, you know, as a church all together at once. And last time we were just overwhelmed with your response. So many came and it was such a great time that we thought we'd love to do it again. So that's today. I want to let you know too that this uh, Wednesday night is our regular leadership uh, night. Uh, it starts at 7.30 here at the church and if you're leading anything in the church, we just would love you to come. We value our leaders and we want to have the best leaders that any church has, the most mature, the best equipped, the ones that are able to lead in a real godly way, servant leaders. So this Wednesday night, we're, we're having that. The great thing that's happened just recently, the Global Leadership Summit, which we shared here, you know, many of us were able to go to that last week in Melbourne and this week in Geelong. And I've just come back. Uh, we we, we travelled together, Gail, Phil and I, and we just had an absolutely wonderful time with others um, at the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the things, one of the messages Bill Heibel shared to 70,000 uh, leaders, Christian leaders, was right on our very first value. So I thought it would be great this week as we talk about being Christ-centred 
that on Wednesday night we show you that, uh, that teaching, that DVD that Bill Hybels would share. So if you don't normally come, you can be welcome this, this, this Wednesday night. If you just want to see that, we're going to gather together at 7.30 and we're going to watch together this DVD about uh, what it means to be Christ-centred in the way we minister. So come along uh, Wednesday night, 7.30. won't be a late night. You'll be home by 9, I promise you. Okay? Uh, the other thing we, we want to let you know is we had a church meeting uh, this week and uh, the church together, we sought the mind of Christ and we approved uh, together the church extensions that are going to take place. And I'm excited about that because as we together have sensed his leading, I really convicted, firmly feel that this is God's now next stage for us as a church. And if he's going to extend our building, he wants to give us the more and more people to be able to train and equip right through that time. So I'm excited. The plans are up the back. We just love you to keep looking at that and to know that. We're going to have new areas for fellowship after the service. We're going to have all these um, benefits of having extra rooms and, and it's very exciting. We, we would love you to be even now uh, prayerfully considering uh, as we come now to build our church extension what you can give. In the coming weeks, we're going to be asking you to, to, to actually prayerfully consider what God would have you give to this church building, the extension. So we'd love you to be praying about that now. We don't want it to be a thing where you feel like we're, we're asking you or putting pressure on. We want you to be praying and saying, God, how much do you want me to give? What can I give? What, what can I give for the furthering of your church? So would you start praying about that? And uh, next week we'll give you times of when we're going to actually be asking everybody to come together and to believe what God would do through us as a church as we give. The other thing I just want to let you know is Baptism classes are starting at my place in three weeks' time on November the 6th and November the 13th. And if you're a follower of Christ but haven't been baptised, well, now's the time to come. If you're not even a Christian but you want to know more about that, come along, check it out, and, we, and all the teaching will be on there as well. Hey, I don't know about you, but if you've been watching the papers and you've been um, reading things, you know, there's a lot going on in Wodonga at the moment. There's an election coming on and uh, we've got... Um, a whole lot of things in the paper all the time about the city of Wodonga. I thought it would be good for us just to pray for the city of Wodonga this morning that um, God would continue to help us as a city to be uh, clearly unified, encouraging, talking up our city that it would, people would know how great our city is and a place to be. So why don't we pray together, church, as we come this morning. God, we want to thank you. Thank you that you love us and that you've transformed our hearts and you've brought us together, your church. And this morning as we declare together what the Word says, what your Bible says and about how the things we should value, we're pleased because we were going to make that clear. And God, we thank you that that will help to unify us and we pray, God, that your Spirit would unite us together and continue to do that. And God, as we think about that, we want to pray for our city now as we move towards elections in, in just over a month's time. Uh, God, we know that in that environment, people can try and gain points politically and defend and say all different things. And we pray that in the midst of this, God, our city would be a place that people know is a place that's great to be. God, we pray that you would help us as Christians to be able to make a real impact in helping this to be a great city too. God, in whatever we're doing, we pray that we would have a positive influence on this city. God, as Christians, we pray we would love and serve in our workplaces and in, 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 when we're interacting with neighbours or in shops. God, we just love this place where you've placed us. God, we pray for Albury and the regions around. And we know that it's not by mistake that this is where we live. Oh, God, we pray for our cities. We pray that they would be well led. And, and we just ask, God, your blessing on our city. And now, God, as we continue to worship you, we want to say, have your way, God. We're open. We want you to guide us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship God together. Well, it's definitely good to be back up here. I've missed you all. I think it's been something like four weeks since I've... Um, uh, been here one week. I was in bed praying for you, and uh, yeah, I was uh, as sick as could be, 
And um, yeah, I missed you like crazy, but I hear Phil did an excellent job. It was just fabulous that morning. All the feedback I've got is great. Then we went on holidays and that was uh, two weeks away. And then when I got back, rather than having to prepare for the Sunday back, um, David Rowlings did one too on that great series. And they did a great job, didn't they? Why don't we show our appreciation for all those? So thank you. Um, th there's just a few things I just want to follow up um, by way of announcement. Like today we've got so much on, haven't we? Like there's this service and we're asking if you'd like to come back for lunch, that's great. And look, I don't want to say, please, you have to be here uh, to this thing. But here's another thing just to let you know that's on today. And if you're uh, interested and if you'd like to come, that would be great. We don't want to load you up with too much. But this afternoon at the Catholic Church, the Sacred Heart, I'm going to be uh, leading prayer uh, for our community, for the whole region, for rain. You know, in the in this midst of drought, the, all the churches of, of Wodonga um, are coming together and we're just asking people to come together and pray, pray for rain. So I'm going to be standing there in the Catholic Church. Uh, I'm not going to do that, I don't think, but uh, it, it, it's a lovely church. I know the uh, the. Uh, his name's, the, what did they call him? The, the Pope. No, no. Mon, Monsignor. Monsignor Frank. And he's a lovely man. And uh, he's, a, he, he's a real uh, Christ, a love, in love with, love with Jesus, as I've talked to him. I'm looking forward to being there with other Christians this afternoon. So if you've got some time and you've, you're able to do that, three, 3 till 3.30. It's very, you know, 3.30. And then we'll have a cuppa together afterwards. So that's something for you to know. The other thing just want to let you know is Marg Docking and uh, Diane Wicks are heading off to Papua New Guinea. So through their hospital work, they're doing an exchange. So they're going there to teach them a, a, and share some things that they know as well. So we just hope you know, that they have a, a great time and that God protects them and that it's a, a great time of sharing with other people and passing on skills as well. They were in the paper yesterday. Did you see them? It was a great photo. Great. There's Di too. Hope it goes really well, Di. We'll be praying for you and, um, yeah, I hope it goes great. Um, values are important, aren't they? Uh, values actually are important because they shape us. They uh, really shape who we are as people. Um, the family that you grew up in had values and the values that they had shaped you. Now, some of us grew up in families that had some pretty bad values. Like if in your family your dad valued sleep and valued sleep to the point of him saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to work because I like sleeping so much. If you grew up in that environment and then there's some values around sleep and work and all those things that you probably caught, you know, and, and you have to wrestle with, was that a good value to be passed on to me? There's so many values that we catch just by growing up in our family. I mean, my family had some values which really helped us as kids uh, it, later on, One, we never sat down and said, right, these are the Spark family values, but they were clear. If you violated those, you knew you were, you were not doing the right thing. And one of them was, uh, that was kind of be responsible. And I remember just as a, a young, young boy growing up, my parents would say to me, hey, Jonathan, if you commit to something, you do it. They'd say to me things like, you know, don't pull out at the last minute and not show up. Uh, so I'd find myself, you know, down on the singing roster or out down to preach, a, uh, read, do a Bible reading, you know, when I, when I was younger. Or I'd RSVP to a party and said I'd be coming. But as the time grew closer, I just thought, oh, you know, maybe, nah, maybe I won't. Mum and Dad said, no, here's the phone. Yeah, there, ring them up. If you're, if you're not going, you've got to ring them or you've got to go. You just can't not turn up. That had a impact on me. It was a value that impacted my life. Another one was just you've got to be polite. You know, say thank you. Uh, if someone talks to you, you know, try and make eye contact with them and say thank you and, and be polite in the way. You, and it's to the point now, where, as I grew up, where if I didn't do that, I, it affected me. You know, the value was so instilled in me that when I went against that value, there was conflict, you know, and I'd say, hi, how are you? You know, that's better. I never articulated it, but the value went so deep into me that I, I just, it was natural then to try and be polite and respond and say hello and look like that. 
Um, values shape us. They shaped me. And values um, are really what we consider important, what we consider to be worthwhile. And, you know, commonly held values are the key to unity uh, in a church and they're a foundation upon which activity in a church, uh, ministry in a church, is based. Uh, How are we going to do the ministry that we do? Well, the values determine the way in which we're going to be doing those. Paul encourages us in Philippians 2 and verse 2, says to be be like-minded and to be one in spirit and in purpose. And if we've all got different values, but we don't know what the church's values are, then you might be running a ministry with this set of values and somebody else might be doing this sort of values and we're all just going in all different directions. But by clearly stating our values together, there's a sense of unity comes. We, we kind of think, are these the values that we want? And it might be that as we do these seven weeks and cover our ten values together, you might think, this is not the church that I want to be part of. You know, and if it isn't, then I suppose we've got to talk through that together. And I think there'll be people that will go, this is exactly what I want. And we hope you do because we've really been listening to what we feel that together we value. But it could be that some of you will feel this is not where I want to be. That would be a a good thing if you went and found a place that had the values that you want to be. But we really believe these are biblical values. And our desire, I think, as a church is that we would have values that are biblically based and that are kingdom-oriented. These values are ones that flow out of what God wants to do today and what he said in, his, in the Bible. And the, the leaders of his church, uh, we feel that it's of utmost importance that we clearly state our values so that everybody's clear about them. And our desire is that the church, all of us, would model these values and seek to live in these ways, to embody what the values are about, to do it in your ministry, in your family, in your lives, in everything that we do. And that when you come to a point like I did, when someone gave me something and I thought, I better just say thanks, you know, uh, that when you're in your ministry, if your ministry is not Christ-centred or biblically based or if you're not a welcoming small group or if you're not a, you know, person of integrity, then you'll go, better get back onto that value. Um, In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 8 it says, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And the Roman army, uh, they had trumpeters and they would, they had all little signs. One would mean, you know, get, get ready for exercise routines. Others would mean it's time to knock off. Others would be the battle cry and the trumpeters of the Roman army would have to know all the different signals and the so that the army could respond and know them. There was a school for the trumpeters in the army to learn the signals. And what they're saying, what the verse is saying, that if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who's going to get ready for battle? And you get this picture of, you know, the trumpeters standing there, maybe on a high tower, and the the army is down there in the field, and the enemy are approaching. And then as the enemy comes, the leaders say, right, it's time for battle. And, And the uh, they put the word to the trumpeters and the trumpeters go, you know, and on the, on the field, some of them are going, oh, that was the battle cry. And the others go, no, no, that's, it's lunch. That's lunch. You know, and others are saying, we better retreat, you know, and there's confusion. And uh, we just want to make a clear call. You know, in my family, uh, as I sit and remember our values, I, I only do it intuitively because we never wrote them down. Wrote them down. We never made it clear. But... This next seven weeks is about saying this is what we believe. We want to move ahead in unity. We want to make it clear. So you ready? Yeah. First value. Oh, just to let you know, this week I got this in, in the mail. <coughs> the, the must-haves, you know. And I looked through the whole catalogue back to front. Not one of our values are in there. <laughs> I've got to tell you that the values that we have are completely different to what other people value. And uh, the danger is 
But you keep getting these things in the mail telling you what you must have. Or, you know, you must have these new DVD or these whatever or a face like that. Which looks like it's been airbrushed and everything, doesn't it? (laughs) But if you believe that and you don't have your church and us together saying this is what we really must have, we we just don't want you falling for that. Um, So today we're going to talk about our values. First one is that we're a Christ-centred church. We're Christ-centred. And that means that Jesus Christ is the head of our church. He's the head of our church. Our prayer and our desire as a church is that every person who comes into this church, every person who attends one of our ministries during the week, every person who goes to a small group or one activity of our church sometime, that every person would one day be able to say, Christ is my saviour and my Lord. That's our prayer. So if you're visiting today, you're wanting to know what we're all about, we'll just be up front right here. Our prayer is that we would hope that one day, it may take some time for you to figure it all out and put it together, but our prayer is that one day you would say, Christ is my saviour and my Lord. And you might say, well, how, how does that, what does it mean to have Christ as my saviour and my Lord? How, what, what is it all about anyway? And just so you know clearly, I want to let you know that the Bible talks about that right in the very beginning, God existed, right, for all time. And God is love. It's what he's all about. And he made us so that he could love us. He could have a relationship with us and that he could be close to us and the intimacy between us and him would be wonderful. So he made us. He made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and when he finished making all the creation, he said, it is good, it is good, this is great. And he said to them, he said, hey, Adam and Eve, there's this this, uh, tree and it's the tree of the knowledge and good of evil. You can eat from any tree, you can enjoy anything, but if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die, you know. (coughs) And they did. And a separation came between God and man. And that's continued on right through history. Adam and Eve, all the people right down have sinned. You see, it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us are outside of that category. We've all sinned. And like God said, because of sin you will surely die. The wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says that. So we're in this predicament where God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, but we've sinned. We've turned our back. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We've said, God, you know, thank you for all you've done, but we want to live our own way. And I can think of so many ways in which I have done that in my life. You know, instead of uh, trusting him, instead of desiring to get to know him, I've, I've made my own plans. I've been my own boss. There's been times I've said things that are just, hor- you know, terrible. I've thought things that were terrible. I've acted in different ways. I've had attitudes. I've allowed sin to just, uh, you know, overwhelm my life in my past. And you know what we try and do there when we realise that we're far from God? As we try and, you know, find ways to, to bridge this gap, you know, we try and say, well, we'll take a running jump to get back to God. You know, we know the chasm. We feel it. We feel there's something missing in our life and we do everything we can to get back to God. And, and you can think of things that you might have done before you, uh, before you knew that you couldn't do anything. Like maybe you tried to give to the Red Shield appeal, you know, thinking that might help you be right in God's eyes. Maybe you tried to, you know, be polite and responsible, you know, and think, well, God will be pleased if I'm like that. Or you tried so many things and so many people try so many things to be nice to God and try and bridge the gap. And you know what I think most people probably do is they think if I'm just really good and I keep trying to be really good and if I'm more good than I am bad, maybe then when I get to heaven I stand before God, he'll say, well, we're way up the averages and 
Jonathan, you've been kind of better than you have been bad. You can come into heaven. And you know, most people think that. Most people think that if they're just a good person, they'll get to heaven. But the truth is that no matter what we can do, the Bible says that there is nothing that we can do to bridge that gap in and of ourselves. What a great church we've got, haven't we? Look at that. That's Doug Rosevear, everybody. And, and, and what happens here is that we, we realise that there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap because we're sinful and God is holy and we can't do that. So what happened is, although we try and bridge the gap, sin separates us from God, but Jesus came to earth. Jesus was God in the flesh. And because he never sinned and on his, in his life on earth he never sinned and he was God in the flesh, he came to earth and he died on the cross. And as he died on that cross, he took the death that we deserve. The wages of sin is death and we should die. But instead of us dying, Jesus died in our place. He took away the sin um, he bridged the gap between us and God by paying the penalty that we deserve for our sin. So does that make everybody a Christian? No. You have to make a personal response to what Jesus has done for you. Just because Jesus died doesn't mean that your sin is forgiven. Uh, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and if we believe in our heart, that he is Lord, then we'll be saved. We have to confess and believe and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. And when we do that, as soon as we put our trust in him rather than ourselves, we're able to walk across the bridge and come back to God and be united with the one who made us to love him and to know him. The Bible says that's incredible. It's like the difference between death and life. It's the difference between night and day when we're back with God. Our sin is forgiven. We've been given what we didn't deserve. We're filled with grace. We're filled with thankfulness. And we say, thank you, God. You know, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, trusting in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. When we say that we're a Christ-centred church, we say that those who make up the church of Jesus Christ are those that have Christ as Lord of their life. And that's what we mean. It's not them making the decisions anymore. Jesus is now in the driver's seat and he's steering that person's life. That's what it means to be Christ-centred. You know, for me, I grew up in a church and uh, my mum and dad went to church every week and we went every all the time. And I remember uh, coming and learning and doing all those things. And then as I grew up and started to go to high school and stuff like that, the gap between what they said at church and how I should live and how I did live widened. And I was aware of the gap widening. You know, and I tried really hard to, to, to sort of be a better person at school as well. But, you know, there, were, there was peer pressure. There were things like that. And I thought, well, I'll try and stand up to it. And I just found myself caving in completely to peer pressure and doing things that I really didn't like. And I'd go back to church and I'd be, hi, how are you? Yeah, this is great. I listened to the pastor. I knew what he was saying. I tried to understand those things. But you know what? There was no relationship with me and Jesus because no one, never had I asked him, put my trust in him and asked him to deal with my sin. You know, the truth is I was going to church every single week. I had everybody I knew was in church, you know, but that I'd never had my sin dealt with. And so I'd go to school and I'd try and be good there, but it just wouldn't work and I'd get all feeling terrible again and go back to church. And, try. and I just became a religious person, a fraud, really, someone who tried with all my might to be good, but it never made any difference. It wasn't until I really understood what Jesus had done and that he died on the cross and that it wasn't about me working hard to earn my right place with God because I could never do that, but it was all about what Jesus had did, not what I'd done, but what he did for me on the cross. When I put my trust in that, that's when Jesus forgave my sin. He came into my life and his Holy Spirit filled me. And from then on, I started to have the power to face 
sin, the power to make decisions and to stand. That's what it means to be Christ-centred. And then every day now, since that time, I keep trying to say, Lord, I surrender to you afresh. You're my Lord. Lead me. Guide me. So that's what it means, Christ-centred. There is, now some people say, well, that might be good for you. You know, that might be great for you, Jonathan, uh, going the old Jesus way. But, you know, I, I've got some other things that I think that might help me. You know, maybe I, I like a little bit of, uh, I heard a bit about Buddha and I like a bit of meditation here and there. Maybe, you know, I think there's a lot that the Muslim faith has to add. And I just think for you, that's good. For me, I'm just taking a few bits of everywhere. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, verse 6. And what clearly Jesus is saying, there is no other way to come to God. The only way when you die and stand before God that you'll be able to have eternal life with him and receive his reward and blessing is through trusting in Jesus Christ. The opposite is unthinkable. Uh, to be separated from Christ for eternity in hell is the alternative. You'll pay the price yourself. You'll die yourself if you haven't accepted Christ's death on your behalf. So the question today is, are you Christ-centred? Have you put your trust and faith wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Because this church is made up of those who belong to Jesus Christ. You know, so individually Christ comes to us. And what God is doing in the world now is he's, he's building a family of people who have responded to Jesus Christ. Uh, while they were on the road to Caesarea Philippi, uh, Jesus said, uh, said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? They came up with all these different uh, answers to him. Some say this, some say that. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, hey, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because uh, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell cannot conquer it. In this passage here, uh, Peter is declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the one that would save them from their sins. And this declaration of belief and, and total acknowledgement of who Jesus is was the first time that this had been so clearly publicly declared. And so Jesus says, Peter, you're a rock. And on this declaration that you've made, You've just declared that I'm Messiah, that I'm Lord, and on that I'm going to build my church. You see, the church, our church, is built not on volunteers who just walk, drive past here and think this is a great place and sign a membership form and pay their annual subscription. God, the living God, has been working in people's hearts. People have been responding by faith and believing in Jesus Christ and declaring like Simon Peter did that day. And those people are what God is building his church on, on the faith, on the declaration of people who are Christ-centred, who have put their trust in him. So right through the ages, right since that very time, God has been building his church. On the day of Pentecost, it's interesting that Peter got up and he preached the people and thousands responded as he preached. And the church was formed on Peter and his declaration of Jesus Christ and telling others who he was. And those who responded became part of the church because they believed by faith in him. And so, so that's the way the church happens. God is building his church. We're part of it. When you trust in Christ, you're part of the church. So how does that work practically? Well, here, if you've been coming along, we just want to say welcome to you, even if you don't know Jesus, because you need to get to know him. And each week we want to be preaching and teaching and telling you about Jesus so you can come to understand him more. And we're praying that one day you'll be able to declare like Peter, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So 
that you would confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Christ. And we think that's wonderful. The first thing is to actually believe him, to ask him to come in, take the place of your sin, to, you know, to, that, accept his death and all that he's done and come into a relationship with him. Now, believing is wonderful. But, you know, many people believe something, but there's no fruit in their life. You know, like I believe that we should wear, wear seatbelts, but if I don't, I just don't believe it, do I? I might say I believe it, but if I don't do it. And so what we, what we say is one of the, one of the you know, things that we need to do when we become a Christian is to obey God's word and to do what he asks us to do. And so we, we look for the signs of people now reading their Bibles and praying to God and seeking to live a life where Christ is at the centre. And one of the things that the early disciples uh, asked and, and told people to do is to, when they repent, to be baptised. So one of the ways that we uh, encourage people who have become Christians uh, to, to walk forward in obedience is to be baptised. And a public declaration takes place. So people who have trusted in Jesus Christ and then been baptised through a public declaration, we, we think that's a great time for you to become a member of this church. And for us, membership is very important because we believe that if Christ lives in me and if he lives in you, then we're part of the body together. And your gift is just as important as mine and valuable. You might not get up and preach every week, but you might be serving or you might be doing something else part of the body. And all of us are valuable and all of us a part of the body. And so if you're a church member, we believe that Christ is the head of your life and as you continue to be faithful in that. And so we want to see, see what you're thinking about when we come to make important decisions. So Christ-centred means that we desire that people will say, Christ is my Lord and Saviour. But Christ-centred means that Christ is not only Lord of my life, but we acknowledge him as the head of the church. And the way this operates is clearly in our church structure. We want to be a church that just doesn't say Christ is our head, but it's structured in such a way. So the way we operate as a church is Christ is our head. Church members, those that have put their trust and faith in Christ and been baptised as well, are people that together discern the mind of Christ. So major decisions in our church are made at the church meeting, just like we had last Wednesday night. And what we did was we said to people, hey, this is a big decision. We want you to seek the mind of Christ. And so together we prayed and we waited and we searched and, and we sought the mind of Christ. Now, I just want you to clearly note that there are some differences here already between our church and other churches some in, in form. You know, um, Some churches look for an, a leader who will tell the people what God is saying, you know, uh, like uh, the, the one who knows the Bible most uh, is the one that will tell the people what we're doing and they've got the authority and they'll make the decisions on behalf of the church. There are other places that say, it's, no, it's not the one that has the most Bible knowledge, it's the one with the anointing, you know, the one who's got the hand of God on him that, that will make all the decisions in the church, lead the direction everybody's to follow. Uh, sometimes we say, well, the one who's the leader of the church is the one with the most uh, qualifications. You know, you need to be accredited and have a degree, a diploma. What, what we're saying here in our church, the church members are the body of Christ and together we seek his mind and where we're going. We value leadership in this church. We honour leadership. But we don't say that it's just so much more important. We value everybody's input as Christ leads us because we believe Christ is alive and in our hearts and he's leading us as a church together. So the church members then uh, appoint uh, deacons who will, be, who will be responsible for making major decisions in the church and leading us and those, uh, the pastors and staff come underneath. It's kind of flip side because we believe that Christ lives in all of us. Racing through, hey? Um, that's how it works out. So we've all got gifts. There's no titles or uh, robes. Like you don't have to call me Reverend Jonathan or, uh, you know, any, any big name. I, I'd just rather you see me as your fellow servant who has an incredible responsibility of leading the church. I don't want to get, you know, below that in, in, in trying to lead us together. But to say that at the end of the day, I will never want to take the place of Christ. 
And anyone who does here, we're violating a big principle. We want Christ to lead us as a church as we seek his mind and seek his will. Other thing, um, the other thing uh, we want to uh, do, I want to let you know, is that because Christ is building the church and because he made that promise, I can sleep at night. <laughs> it, it doesn't actually all depend on me <laughs> or on you. Your ministry is not solely dependent on you because Christ said, I will build my church. You know, the one who is building his church is God. And sometimes we get to think and we think, if I don't work really long and really hard and really big hours and do all this and work until I'm dead almost, God's not going to build his church. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And, you know, it's interesting that sometimes people think, well, church is so important that I can sacrifice things for my family instead, you know, because I should be doing the godly thing and my family should suffer. And it's interesting that in Ephesians 4, uh, Jesus, Paul says, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Notice he didn't say, husbands, love the church. Christ said, I will build my church. We do love the church. But we're to love our wives in the way that Christ loved the church. So when you think I should just neglect my family for church work, what's going on there? You know, we're supposed to be loving our wives and serving the church. So I think work as hard as you can in your church work, but don't ever let other things suffer as well because at the end of the day, we're never going to get everything done and we can walk home saying it's Jesus who's got to build the church. You get what I'm saying there? It's, it's refreshing, isn't it, that we can do what he's called us to and gifted us to, but we don't need to be workaholics in the process. So I wonder this morning, as we just come through this first value, and we're running out of time so quick, aren't we, Sandy? Is Christ your head? Is he your Lord? If he's not, we're in, uh, we want, want you to make him your Lord. If you're in leadership, are you leading with him as Lord of your life? Are you praying to him each day for strength? Are you asking him to guide you? I want to ask you, uh, are you modelling kind of Christ-like qualities in your life? Are you someone who is loving in the way that Christ did? Loving the marginalised, those that aren't quite like us, loving the poor. Are you someone who's caring for the hurting? You're someone who's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. As Christ is head of your life, Lord of your life, those things will start to be evident in your life. As we as a church continue to submit and surrender to Christ and say, lead us, God, we should be looking for great, great things starting to take place. Second value is that we as a church are a biblically-based church. Uh, this means that when I, uh, the, the Bible is God's word and the Bible is the uh, primary authority for knowing God's revelation in Christ to us. So uh, God has spoken and revealed who he is through the scriptures. He lets us know that. So the primary way that we learn about who God is is not for our own making up, you know. It's in the Bible. So we need to know and understand the Bible so that we can understand what God is saying to us today. It's not the only way that God speaks to us. No, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And he speaks to us even as we read the Bible. He challenges us and convicts us. But he never contradicts what he said in the Bible. So if we're a church, a Bible-based church, it means that we wholeheartedly submit to what the Bible says. So one of the things is when I read the Bible, God speaks to me. God speaks to you. God speaks to us. How do we know that? Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed, and is useful to teach what is tr true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare his people to do everything. Good work. 
So the Bible is God's word. It's inspired. It comes from him. It, it, it teaches us what we should and what we shouldn't do. And it helps us by knowing God's word to be prepared and equipped to do all the things that he's calling us to do. I can't understand it when people who know Jesus, who have made a commitment to Christ, just leave the Bible on the shelf. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Um, now I'll just go and uh, live in the grace of that. You know, wouldn't you want to get to know and understand what he's saying? And so for Christians, for us as a church, we want to be those that are reading God's words regularly because God speaks to us through it. Because God's word is powerful and it changes my life as I read it. Look, look, look what it says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I don't tell you, the more and more I read this, the more and more I realise things that I need to change in my life. You'll be reading God's word and it will come just like it says. It will come right powerfully, sharply to me and challenge me. If you don't want to be challenged, you don't want to grow, just leave this here and uh, stumble through life. But for those that are Christ-centred and biblically based, we we will never uh, stop growing as we want to keep learning God's word. Uh, Also, if I understand and apply God's word to my life, I can live as God's desires, life to the full. Look what it says in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Study this book of the law continually. Study it. Get get to know it. Not only study it, you know, like working through, really uh, pulling it apart and finding out what the meanings of the words say and try and understand the context that it's in and what what God was actually saying to those people and how it affects to our life today. Not only do that, but meditate on it too. Think about it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and you will succeed in all you do. You know, what is success? I think it's living for the purpose that we've been made. And the more and more we understand God's word and obey it, we start to live in the way God has planned us to, then we truly are prosperous and successful. So read God's word. Other things that uh, I think it says in Acts 17, that the Bereans were people who read God's word and searched the scriptures. And as a result, it says, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek men and women. Here's a group of people that studied God's word and they found that they were saved because of reading it and understanding it. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Reading God's word and knowing God's word helps us live lives that are not sinful but are pure because we understand the way we should live. It instructs us. It helps us. And uh, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word steers us and guides us in the right way. I want to say our desire as a church is that you would read this every single day. We don't want you to just, uh, you know, flip and dip, try and uh, look for a verse every now and again. We'd love you to, when you face challenges, be able to wrestle through and find where God's word speaks directly to the challenge that you're facing and to memorise a verse on that so it can affect your life. And we did the 40 Days of Purpose a couple of years ago and during that time what happened was um, they, they gave out a, a read the Bible through in a year um, sort of guide and at the start of, you know, not last year but the year before, we said to everyone, wouldn't it be great if we could read the Bible through the year and we gave them out at the, at the foyer and I started doing that and I did that last year and this year I thought, you know, you could read the Bible through the New Testament through four times in one year if you just spent 20 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. And I'm up to my fourth time through the New Testament this year. 
and it's just it's wonderful to get the flow of how it's going and where it's what's happening and and starting to really feel like that can you imagine what could happen if all the time you started to be feeding on God's word at the end of this year we're going to give out all those reading guides again and, and see if we could not do that together um, and to say wouldn't it be great if m- so many of us committed to, to saying let's try and do that each each time not only reading it continually like that through but memorizing it meditating on it and applying it to our lives we uh, the, the, the other thing we, we want to say when it comes to God's word we, we want you to read it every day we want you to memorize it we want you to be familiar and, and allow the truth that God wants to speak to us to not only transform our hearts but to change our living. But we also are committed as a church to preaching and teaching the Bible every week in a way that is directed primary towards not only knowledge, which is very important, but into life change. I don't believe the Bible is just something that, a history book that you should learn and know for factual details. We believe that as you open and preach the word of God, God will transform your heart. And every week, every time we come together, we're going to be opening God's word, we're going to be preaching it in a way that you can understand and apply to your heart as well. Also, we stand to be corrected with Onga Baptist Church according to God's word. So if there's things that we're doing that are against God's word, we want you to come and talk to us. We really want to be a church that is grounded deeply and wholeheartedly in God's word because we believe that is the thing that we want to put our foundations and roots on every day. So, Wodonga District Baptist Church are wholeheartedly committed to being Christ-centred and biblical-based. This is what we value and this is what we believe. Let's pray. God, this morning we just want to say thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you for rising again and conquering death and sin and now we live because he lives. We live because we're forgiven. God, we thank you that you haven't left us fumbling around to try and figure out how to make sense of everything, but you have clearly shown us through your word how we're to live. Thank you that your word guides us, transforms us and leads us. And God, we just want to say this morning, we, your people, are wholeheartedly committed to you as our Lord and Saviour and we're wholeheartedly committed to your word. God, thank you for our history as a church that right through the foundations of this beginning of this church, people have preached your word. People have been led through to commitments to follow you as their Lord and Saviour. God, we will continue to do that. We promise. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you want to...